We're turning today to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12. At some stage, we will return to our studies in the book of Colossians. But perhaps for today and maybe for the next couple of weeks, we'll just look at individual messages that the Lord has put on my heart. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And we're going to commence reading at the verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and the verse 12. Let's hear the word of God. And when ye saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore behold the king whom ye have chosen. And whom ye have desired. And behold the Lord hath set a king over you. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him. And obey his voice. And not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. Then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel, and all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil, to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text today is taken from 1 Samuel 
chapter 12 and the verse 24. It reads as follows, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. Now my theme this first Lord's Day of 2022 is how to consider what great things the Lord hath done for his people. Now I'm making this our motto text for 2022. It was given to me way back in the middle of November during the time of the Acre Killy Hevelin Conference. So on and off from about November the 15th, I have been thinking about and meditating upon these words. And I thought to myself of the fact that this is an opportunity using this text to look back in the past. So we're going to think of the year 2021 that has gone into eternity. We're thinking of past history, past events. But this text is an also opportunity to look forward to the opening of a new year. Because even on the 2nd of January, we're standing on the portal of the new year. Now let me point out that these words mark the end of a great transition for Samuel and the children of Israel. This was actually Samuel's last time he would address all of the nation, all 12 tribes, as judge over them. From this time on, the land would no longer be ruled by the judges. Samuel is the last judge. From this time on, it would now be ruled by a king. I want you to think of the fact that the people asked Samuel for a king to rule over them so they could be like the other nations. At this time, Samuel's an old man. He's gray-headed, the Bible tells us. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 2. So I want you to think of a 90-year-old man whom the people are now considering frail and unable to continue in this role of the judge. His two sons, Joel and Abijah, 1 Samuel 12, verses 3 to 8, they're referenced, they're corrupt. They're money grabbers, their heart's not right with the Lord, even though they're, they're judges over Israel. Samuel, of course, wasn't pleased with their request for a king. What did it mean? It meant that virtually he's out of a job. It meant a rejection of him. He's old, he's frail, as I've said. They're thinking of his inability to do things. He's, he's now 90, according to Billinger and his work of numerics. But it wasn't that that upset Samuel. It wasn't even what they said about his sons that got to him, that stuck in his heart. I mean, he knew they were corrupt. He knew they were money grabbers. He knew their heart wasn't right with the Lord. But what got to him was their desire to follow the pattern of the nations in asking for a king. They were looking for a visible monarch. And in his heart, he knew that it was not just a rejection of him as judge, but a rejection of Jehovah. They wanted a visible monarch. And it was a rejection of the invisible monarch, God himself. After he tells all his problems to the Lord, the Lord tells Samuel, by way of comfort, they have not only rejected thee, but they've also rejected me, my law, my counsel, my 
government over them. But in the providence of the Lord, he gave them their heart's desire. Samuel was instructed to arise and anoint Saul. Saul was anointed the first visible monarch on the throne. After Saul's first victory over the Ammonite king Nahash and saving Jabez Gilead and its people, Samuel then addressed the nation as the new king was being crowned. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 14, it says this. Then said Samuel to the people, come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And then Samuel addressed the people. And you can read the whole of his address, 1 Samuel chapter 12, right through to verse 25. And I've thought of that. This was his final message as judge. This was an end of an era. This marked a transition. This was a, a, a new dawn of a new day. This, this was a, a new future. Samuel was to become the first of all the prophets. And I believe he summarized his sermon using the words of verse 24. Now think of these words. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. There's three things here that came to mind as I thought of this text. Firstly, what great things we are to consider. Look at the text. How great things he hath done for you. And if you think of this, how to consider. For consider how great things he hath done for you. What does that mean? We're going to pause. We're going to stop and think. You see, it's a common translation of the Hebrew verb to see. And what do you do when you consider something? Well, you pay the closest attention to it. You, you look carefully at it. In other words, you don't do it lightly. You don't do it rashly. You don't do it casually. It's not something you say, oh, yeah, and you... Um, have a slight thought about, and then you go on your merry way and carry on your business. No, this is about possessing a frame of mind. This is about having a right frame of mind. This is about looking carefully at something. This is about seriously taking your time to think the thing through. This is looking carefully at what is real and important in your life. For consider. Now think about buying a car. Young people, of course, pass their test and they want the car. It's usually an older car. But it's not just the purchase of the car, young people. There's car tax, there's car insurance, and then there's running costs, and then there's, there's maintenance. And for a while you might drive here, there and yonder and drive your mates various places and then you'll wise up and realise you're paying the petrol. Think about buying a house. There's loads of other costs, not just a matter of purchasing the house. There's estate agent costs, solicitor's fees, a builder's survey, a state of repairs. There's interest rates to consider. There's job prospects to, 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 to consider. It's the same with, with a, a girlfriend. Or a boyfriend. 
It's not just a matter of getting a girl or a matter of getting a boy and saying, will you be my friend and we'll hang out together. Um, what type of person are you choosing to be the girlfriend or the boyfriend? Do they love the Lord? Do they go to church? Do they believe in God? Are they atheist? So many things to consider. You see, it's taking the time to consider. You see, the sad thing is that many of us are fault finders. And it's so easy for us to see the speck of dust in another person's eye. And that's a big thing for us. But we don't see the beam in our own eye. And what would the Lord Jesus teach us in Mark 7 and 3? He would teach us to consider the fact, not only of another person's problem as we perceive it to be a problem, but consider your own problem first. And consider that that person's problem is nothing really to my personal problems. I was thinking just the other evening of the words in Mark chapter 6. And it says in verse 51, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Why? It says in Mark 6, 52, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Think of that. Here's the Lord Jesus walking in water. Here's the Lord Jesus in the midst of the storm getting into the boat. And immediately he does, the wind ceases. And the waves stop. And the disciples are amazed beyond measure. In other words, they're really astonished. Why? That they're shocked out of their wits. Why? Because they didn't really ponder and consider the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. That was a failure in their part. They didn't consider really who he was. They hadn't considered what great things he had done. You see, there's two kinds of consideration, young people. There's a casual consideration. And there's a careful consideration. And when Samuel says, consider how great things he has done, he's calling for a careful consideration. You see, with a casual consideration, there's a dullness to learn. There's a backwardness about it. There's a failure to pay the closest attention to detail. You see, Samuel knew that the children of Israel, that a major part of their problem of heart and mind in asking for a king was this, they hadn't thought it through. And how many haven't thought it through? And we could apply it to a car, a house, we could apply it to a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and they haven't thought it through. And they failed to understand what they asked for. And at the heart of this, they left the Lord out of the picture. And they forgot about the Lord's dealings with them throughout their history. And they forgot the Lord already was their king. Isn't that what Samuel says? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 12. When ye saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. They were saying, well, we've got to be like the other nations. But they didn't think it through when they asked for a king. What it would actually mean. Look at chapter 12 and verse 7. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. And let me suggest something to you. In this first Lord's Day of 2022, the opening of the year, the first thing that you could do to help yourself live a victorious Christian life is this. Consider the righteous acts of the Lord. 
And how do you consider? Not casually, but very carefully. Not lightly and vainly, but carefully meditating on those righteous acts. Taking them into your mind. Not only how to consider, but think of the habit of consider. He says, for consider how great things he hath done for you. What things? Now I'm only going to mention them this morning, you'll be glad. Think of the adoration of his perfections. Take it into our mind who God is. You see, John Calvin said the greatest knowledge in the world is the knowledge of God. The Bible says in Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still and know that I am God. The greatest knowledge in the world, young people, is the knowledge of God. Could you imagine standing up in the university and saying that to some of the, the professors there in whatever sphere of subject they're teaching in and saying, Professor, so-and-so, the greatest knowledge in the world is the knowledge of God. God is. In the beginning, God. Elohim. Pause. Stop and think. In fact, in the Hebrew, in the beginning, God has a main pause. It's called the nathna, and you're meant to stop and think. Now, we wouldn't pick it up in the English, but the Hebrew reader would. And there's the adoration of his perfections. What about the answers to prayer? How many prayers the Lord has answered for us? Is it not true that we could raise the testimony 2021, God has heard us, God has answered us, praise be to the Lord? Thirdly, what about the acts of his providence? How many times we have been happy and thrilled that the Lord has stepped in when we have pondered his providential dealings with us. We, we sometimes sing all the way my Savior leads me. And we look back, but do we really believe it? We, we have sung, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Every step, all the bumps in the road, the pitfalls, the twists, the turns, the shock, the smiles. It's all according to the path that he has chosen for us individually. The acts of his providence are part of those righteous acts of the Lord. As for the Lord, his way is perfect. It's all according to his will and his wisdom. Think about the acceptance of his patience. Could we ponder for a moment the righteous acts of the Lord's patience that he has shown to us. We look back over the 12 months, 52 weeks, 365 days gone into eternity. Have we not failed him many times? Has there not been areas where, where I have been unfaithful to him? Where I haven't loved him as I ought with my heart, soul, mind and strength? And yet he has been so patient to me. He has been so long-suffering. And many times we have tried his patience. But he's been patient to each one of us. The truth is, if someone tried our patience even here in church and put that to the test on many, many occasions, we mightn't be as patient as we really think we are. Wouldn't be as loving as we profess to be. And yet thank God for his patience. Fifthly, what about the acknowledgement of his power? Micah said, I'm full of power by the Spirit of God. God is all powerful. Isn't that wonderful to consider? 
the righteous act of the God acting in power. What about the accessibility of his plan? Your place in God's plan. God has a place for you even here. And God is very good at solving problems in the midst of that plan, whatever the problems are. But I want you to think primarily, seventhly, of the availability of his pardon. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 12 and look with me at verse 8. Samuel said this as part of this final address. When Jacob was come into Egypt and your fathers cried unto the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. God's righteous act of redemption. You see, it's a wonderful truth to consider that God has redeemed us. What has he redeemed us from? A life of bondage. He brought us into a life of blessing. Think of the children of Israel and Egypt in bondage there uh, as slaves. It's a picture of being in bondage to sin and Satan. And those individuals can't break free of themselves. They might say, I want to break free, but they can't. God must do it. God must take the initiative. And that's what he did when he raised up Moses. Uh, remember the 10th plague, the power of the blood of the Lamb. It's all a picture of the gospel. It's all a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, here's my point this morning. The availability of pardon. Let's pause. You see, I know what many think, at least I think I do. I've heard it all before. We know the story of redemption, but do we? Let, let's stop and think. Moses actually said to them, if you think of the words here, um, he, he told them to uh, stand still in this uh, great message. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. You see, I want you to stop and think. I want you to fill your heart and mind with this truth. We're going to sing it in closing. I am redeemed. And you think of this, into this house this morning, the Lord comes amongst us and he whispers to you who are born again of the Holy Spirit and washed in the blood, I have redeemed you. Yes, you were a sinner. But not only a sinner, you were actually a slave to sin. Let me tell you what you were before I redeemed you. You were a slave to sin. All your faculties were diseased. Your will was depraved. Your mind was darkened. That There's the affections that were diseased. You had no feeling or thought toward me. You had no love toward me. You were totally depraved. Every faculty polluted by sin and wickedness. You were a child of wrath. Godless without hope and without Christ. Not a pretty picture. Now, now think of that. That's what you were before I redeemed you. Let me tell you a little story. Joel was telling me he got a lovely mountain bike for Christmas. I remember getting a bike years ago as a child, well, a young person. I used to work on a farm as a young lad. And I can remember driving, riding up home uh, from the farm. It was maybe about, I suppose, maybe two miles from where I lived. And this man who also worked in the farm, he had got a new motorbike. And he came past me on the motorbike, gave me a big clap on the back. Come on, young McLaughlin. And the bike went through the hedge into the little shuck that was on the other side of the hedge. And I went straight into the shuck. Well, you can imagine that. 
all the stench of that still water and me coming up plastered and then having to ride home. In fact, I couldn't ride home because the, 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 the bicycle was destroyed. The wheel was completely buckled. It wasn't only flat, it was buckled. And I had to hobble up the road the rest of the journey with the bike and then come in to explain to my uh, uh, dear Aunt Maud uh, what a, a man called George McCloy had done uh, to me. And I never forgot that. And the minute I came through the door, uh, all she could talk about for days was the absolute stench of our David coming through the door. I was covered from head to toe. And you know, that's what we were like before the Lord. It was as if we had fell into that absolute stench. And yet the Lord comes and says this morning, I have redeemed you. Remember what Paul says there in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us this in verses 12 and 13, that at that time ye were without Christ being strangers um, from the um, covenant of promise. He, he tells us that at that time you were without Christ, being alien from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you are sometimes or afar off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and old things have become new. Life has changed. God can come and say, you're now born again of the Spirit of God. You're a blood-washed saint. And your sins, filthy as they were, are all fully and finally forgiven. All your sins of thought and word and deed. Hebrews 10 and 17 says, and your sins and iniquities, I'll remember no more. All the perverseness, all the pollution of sin, put out of the Lord's memory. Fully, finally, and forever. Think in this. Sins of presumption. Secret sins, open sins, sins of ignorance. Remember what Isaiah the prophet says. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid in him the iniquity of us all. Is it any wonder Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he that is God hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us, who you know sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our sin with his guilt and punishment transferred, put to Christ's account. He was punished for it. And Christ's perfect righteousness transferred and put to our account through faith. If you struggle with sin, if you have this fear in your mind, my sins. Maybe you're hunted and plagued with your sins of the past. Remember this illustration. Luther had a dream one night. Dreamt the devil came to him and held out a scroll and said, Martin Luther, are these all your sins? Remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. Luther said, yes, they are, but, but there's thousands more. And in his dream, he took his quill and he, he wrote over each parchment that the devil provided the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanseth from all sin. Oh, this morning, if the Lord comes and says, I have redeemed you, and you're fully and finally and forever forgiven, then the Lord delights in you, that the Lord sees you in Christ. And this is one of the great things, the availability and the accessibility of his pardon. You've been blessed with a full and free and forever pardon. You can say, I am blessed. I, I will be blessed. I shall be blessed forever. You're not delighting in yourself. You're delighting in the Savior. And that's just one of the great things that I've mentioned out of the seven that he has done for you. 
we'll have to move on. Not only what great things we should consider, but the way of considering great things. If you look at our text again, it tells us, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. You see, here's the basis for considering these great things. Fear the Lord, only serve him in truth with all your heart. Here's the way to do this, the way to consider these great things. Learn to fear him. Should we not just fear the Lord only? Remember what the Lord Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And he told them this great truth. Listen to what he said. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord, remember, is uh, very simple. Uh, Isaiah the prophet summarized it for us in this way in Isaiah chapter 8 and the verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. In other words, live to fear him. What does that mean? Well, you live in awe of him. You live in the dread of him. Isn't it? Solomon said, Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And I've explained it before. Let me put it again. Think of Johnny out of school on a Friday, turning the corner, sees the school bully, and he's frozen in the spot. There's a fear of meeting the bully. There's a dread comes on Johnny. But then Johnny's invited to the queen. Buckingham Palace, a meeting with Her Majesty for tea. And there's a fear there. But it's a different kind of fear. It's, 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 it's the quality of all now. And these two things are combined because the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And because we have so much an estimate of sin, and so is such a low estimate of how holy and great God is, that we don't fear him as he ought. And Samuel says, only fear the Lord. Don't be afraid of the nations all around you. Don't be afraid of the heathen, because the fear of man brings a snare. You see, the fear of man's real. And the fear of man can have great consequences. We, we know it can have consequences physically. But in the physicality of the fear of man, we're not to give place to a denial of the Lord as far as our hearts and minds is concerned. Keep the Lord in your mind. Keep the Lord on your mind. Think of him. Let your emotions be kept in check by the Holy Spirit. Be kept in a state of peace. Why? Because Isaiah says that will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed in thee because he trusteth in thee. Here's the way. If we think of this illustration, remember the storm in the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were asleep in the boat. Master careth not that we perish. They were full of fear and panic. Why? Because they didn't consider him. Their mind wasn't fully focused on him. Live to fear him, but, but also live to follow him. It says him here in our text, and serve him in truth with all your heart. What does that mean? It means serve him truly, all your heart. You've heard of the words a true patriot, someone who has a great love for his country and his cause. Well, what about someone who's a true friend? 
No hidden motive. No hidden agenda. Not for any selfish reason or gain. A genuine, selfless individual. No questionable motives, no questionable motivation. But someone who gives himself not only to the cause of the country, but to a, 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 a needy cause. You know, when we think of service, we think of serving the Lord, perhaps in a mighty way and accomplishing great things. And some do that, and we thank God for them. But you know, many serve the Lord in the little things. Think about those who serve here in this house in the children's ministry, the Sunday school and the, 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 the uh, children's ministry in the Wednesday night. Driving the bus. Being a volunteer in the bus to bring the children here safely. What about phoning somebody who's ill? What about providing a card for somebody who is mourning? What about giving a cup of cold water to someone in need? Think of the little lad with the two fishes and the five loaves. A lad's lunch for the Lord. That little lad had the true heart of a true servant. What he gave to the Lord he did willingly, gladly and joyfully. He wore his heart in his sleeve. No hidden motive, no hidden motivation. So when Samuel says serve him in truth, that's what he meant. But he also meant something else. He meant serve him in the truth. In other words, it's all according to the scriptures. Remember the Lord Jesus prayed, thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth. The book of Daniel talks about in chapter 12, the scriptures of truth. You see, who defines what service is? Is it defined by great and mighty acts? Is it defined by little acts of kindness? Well, I'll tell you, it's not defined by men. It's not even defined by godly men. It's certainly not defined by godless men. It's designed by the Lord himself. You see, the heart and mind and will of God is all revealed in the scriptures. And it all centers in the person and work of Christ. He says in Isaiah 20, or 42 verse 1, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Didn't the Lord Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes unto the Father but by me. He's the very embodiment of what truth is. And if we learn this year in 2022 to fear him and we live to follow him, two things will happen. Our mind will be fully on the things of God. And we'll be kept in a state of peace no matter what happens in the world. And many things are going to happen in the world that's going to cause fear and alarm and dread. They're already beginning to happen. I'm not going to it now of all the calamities that's coming, but, but they're coming. And our mind, when they come, need to be on the things of God and on the Lord himself and remain focused on him. That's why you must learn to fear him and, and live to follow him. But, but secondly, our heart will be truly grateful and glad for all the great things he has done so we can serve him. Doesn't the Bible say serve the Lord with gladness? Serving the Lord with a grateful heart will mean that we have a giving heart. We'll give ourselves to the Lord. We'll give our time. We'll give of our effort. We'll give of our money. It'll be all for him. You see, we're serving him as the great king of heaven. And we're his subjects. 
And that's the way of considering these great things. And I had one final thought. Let me just leave it with you. The why of considering great things. Why should we do this? Could you imagine the children of Israel? And they're asking the question, we've just got a king now, a new king, King Saul. Why should we only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all our heart? And why should we consider how great things he has done for us? Well, let me give you three reasons as we finish. Because God requires it. That's the first reason. And that was the only reason. Then we should do as God has said in his book. This is God's mind and God's will for us as we move out of this transition of the old year into a new thing. We should learn to fear him and live to follow him and consider how great things he hath done because that's what he requires. And it's not only because God requires it, because it's great to reason. When we fill our mind with who God is and what God has done, then we'll be filled with a sense of positivity. And that'll be the best way to overcome all kinds of negativity. If we were thinking of the words as we were singing, God is all sufficient for the coming year. If he's not going to fail us and forget us and forsake us, then we fill our mind with that. We're happy and content. And, and that's, that's reasonable, isn't it? And also, lastly, here's another reason. It's good to rejoice. In Psalm 126 and verse 3, it says this. The Lord has done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. What were they doing? They were rejoicing in the great things that God has done. They were truly glad. They were really happy. They were full of joy. And doesn't the Bible say, rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. And our rejoicing isn't in our circumstances. Our rejoicing has to be in Christ and, and what Christ has done and God and Christ has done for us. So here's why. You should have a careful consideration of these great things. Focusing in on redemption. I am redeemed. Because God requires it. And it's great to reason this out. Because you'll fill your mind with positivity. But it's also good to rejoice. Because your rejoicing's in the Lord. May the Lord take these few thoughts this morning. And bless them to you as he has shared them with me. And I trust and pray they'll be helpful as we set the scene for the rest of this year.